0: Welcome to Not The Way I Planned. I'm Carly Cash, and if you've ever found yourself thinking, this is not the way I thought my life would turn out, you've come to the right place. Each week we'll have inspiring interviews, plus tips and tricks to living your best life, even if it's not the life you planned. With me today is my friend Nicole Hanks, who, uh, she's in radio as well, so I've known you for a few years, but I... You know, you are one of those people that from the outside, I thought like, perfect. (laughs) Really? Really? That's actually funny. No, seriously. And then it's like I started learning little bits and pieces about your life. And I'm like, oh, she's going through some really tough stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So we're going to talk today about infertility and adoption and how sometimes those things can definitely lead you to a place where you're like, oh, this is not the way I planned. Mm -hmm. How did my life end up here? So I wanted to start really at the beginning because I think you and your husband, JD, have the cutest relationship. Oh, thank you. So uh, how did you guys meet? How did your story start?
1: In radio, actually. Um, I started in radio in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was really young. I started... 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I turned 20 or 21, it was right around then I moved, um, out here to Boise for my first morning show. Um, and I came out here literally two suitcases and that was it and had no idea what I was doing. I had barely traveled the country. I had, had barely been away from home and I was traveling across the country, East coast, to West coast, basically. And, um, I did know one person and that was it and then JD was actually our um, intern on our morning show. Okay. (laughs) So he started out as my intern and our joke is always a little
0: intern. Yeah,
1: he's still, you know, he's a year older than me, but he was still our intern. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) our joke is that he's always still, you know, getting me things when I need them, you know, he'll go get me coffee or whatever I need. He's still your intern. Yeah. So we just, we started dating and um, after, it was about, I guess, a year into us living here and doing the morning show, we moved to Memphis and I actually had a job so that I was going to, and he said, all right, well, when do we go? And I had no idea he was going to move across the country again with me, and he yeah. did, and that's kind of how our story started. That's cool. Yeah. So
0: you got married. Yep. How far into your relationship did you get married?
1: Um, We moved very quickly. <laughs> I think we moved across the country together after only about five months I think oh, wow. dating
0: that is fast
1: and then we were engaged a couple months later and then we got married um about six months to a year after that okay so yeah
0: so you get married everything's good and then naturally you start thinking about having kids
1: yeah I think I've always wanted to have kids I think you know kids have always been such a big thing for me I was a nanny for a while in high school and college I wanted to they had 8 kids and I remember thinking I love this I love this big family and I'm Italian so you know big families are pretty common and sure. I just thought I'm going to start popping them out That's and the you know we'll just keep keep going until we feel like stopping and uh it didn't work out that way didn't work out like we had planned like we thought um we had difficulty getting pregnant and then I had a miscarriage uh, eight months after we got married. And I was, it was really, really hard for me. Not only the fact that it was a miscarriage and a loss, but I was alone. And he had been back out in Boise for his brother's wedding. Yeah. And I was back in, we lived in Charleston at the time. And I went through it by myself. And it was, yeah. it was, Scary. It was sad. I didn't know what to do. I felt alone. My family didn't live there. It was just us, and I I did have you know a few friends, but didn't have the people closest to me uh, or my husband to go through it, and it was really difficult.
0: And I'm sure you go from like all of these emotions of excitement and planning for baby, and it's like one of the happiest times in your life to
1: boom. Yeah, it's gone because I mean, at the time, I had no idea. I knew what miscarriage was, but I had no idea that it would be something I would ever have to deal with. No,
0: it's, and, it's always something like that or a lot of other challenges in life. It's it's something that happens to other people. Right. It's not going to happen to me. Right.
1: And it's actually when you look at it and statistically, it's one in four. Yeah, that's that's it's pretty huge. big. So I wasn't the only one going through it, but I felt like I was. Mm-hmm. And then we had more losses as time went on. And our, our dream and our plans of having this family that we thought was going to be so easy or that we didn't even expect to be difficult was now not really seeming like it was going to happen. Okay. So we talked about... Um, other options and what we were what we were going to do were we just going to keep trying and we decided we were going to keep trying we were never going to just stop and even now all these years later we still have been trying
0: and you would i mean typically you'd get pregnant you just couldn't hold on to the baby
1: yep exactly and sometimes it would be so early on that you know most people wouldn't even know that they have a loss because they're just not using um you know a on a stick test yet (laughs) so they just don't know where when you're planning it and you're so obsessed with it happening you're doing it as early like even before you really would be able to see anything Um, so we talked about adoption and it was something that I felt very drawn to and I thought this was a great way to grow our family and I am one that it doesn't really matter if you know my children are biologically related to me genetically anything like that is they're my kids it was a little harder for JD. He he didn't really understand it. He had never had anyone in his family um adopt before. Were so you, it was had, very, had you had
0: that in your family a little bit?
1: I did, but I also didn't really I didn't really care. I yeah. just wanted my family.
0: I think that is very different for different people. And I don't think there is a right or a wrong there. Like I'm sure J D felt to some extent like, oh I wish I felt exactly like you do, and a
1: lot of it was fear. It was the fear of, am I going to love this child that's not genetically related to me? Sure, and so, I think that,
0: that's okay. Like yeah. it may feel yeah wrong, but that's that's a normal thought
1: process. Absolutely, and I wasn't pushing it. I mean, we we talked about it, and he and I have, you know, he's my best friend. We talk about everything, and we're very being in radio. We communicate very well. We communicate yeah. a lot, and that's that's why we work so well. And we talked about it, and we went to an event actually. Um, in Myrtle Beach we went to this thing for a week it was a weekend event Mm -hmm. and there was a booth set up a vendor at one of the the locations that was on adoption and we had just been talking about it so he actually was the one who grabbed the pamphlet and I thought okay well I'm not going to say anything like let him kind of figure this out and ask questions and by the time the weekend was over he wanted to pursue it and he wanted to kind of move forward and see what the options were
0: And how difficult was that process? Because I know sometimes it's like, oh, I want to adopt, but there can be some major hurdles there.
1: Right. Where do I start? That is the biggest thing. And the thing is, there are so many different options and so many different uh, avenues, I mean, for where you can go. I mean, we started our our journey through international adoption. We thought we were going to adopt through another country, Kazakhstan.
0: Is that like typically... (laughs) The easiest path? No. easiest path? No.
1: No, no. I mean, none of them, I would say, are easy. They're all different. They're all very, very different. So we started our path through international adoption. And the country, once we got our what's called a dossier, which is you get all your paperwork together. You get your fingerprinting, your background checks. They have to do a home study where they come out to your house and make sure that your your home is fit to have children. Like you have... uh, the outlet sockets you know covered oh, okay. and you don't have Which any chemicals great. near you have you know stuff locked up yeah it's it's it is but when you're going through it for the very first time it's you feel like somebody's coming in your house and judging you yeah. so I mean I made sure I everything was perfect and when the woman came to the house she she's like take a breath it's okay I'm not going to be looking to see how much dust you have or uh-huh. how much you know it's just we're just going to talk and you know, by the time we did our second and third one, it was like, eh, it's okay, it's fine. I don't think I even picked up anything. Yeah. <laughs> so that was scary, but the we had our nursery ready to go. We knew that we were going to adopt um a baby one but between probably ten months to a year, year and a half. And so we had the nursery ready. We were excited. Um, and the country stopped adoptions.
0: Ugh.
1: So they stopped their adoptions and said, we don't know when we're going to open them again. Do you want to wait or do you want to pursue another country? What do you want to do? And we literally had no idea because this was all new to us. And we thought, hey, we're on this path. This is the one we're going down and we're yeah. just going to go until it ends. Once you know? again, this is our plan. <laughs> it should work. Right. So then um, we decided after a lot of talking, a lot of praying, a lot of just researching to what we wanted, we decided to do um, domestic or do foster to adopt. So foster to adopt is through the state and you do your foster classes. There's actually a great movie out that just came out called Instant Family. I've seen that with Mark Wahlberg. Okay, let me tell you, that movie was our life. Every single bit of it. If you haven't seen it, it is so well done and so accurate, it's pretty spot on. Huh? And you know, you sometimes see these Hollywood versions of, of things like that, and you go, "Oh, well, they got like you know ten percent of it right." They got so much of it right that JD and I were like, "That seems like it was our adoption class because the families, the idea of you know this in part of the movie they they had a part where." um they have you kind of draw what your family would look like and what you think your child will look like. And every single one of those, after you're done, they said, okay, this is not what your child's going to look like. You're going to have to take that (laughs) out of your mind because it's not going to be true. And that's what our, you know, the the person that was leading our class said. And that was so true. We went in thinking we were going to adopt a child in foster care who was between zero and three years old. Mm -hmm. Um, We adopted a six year old boy. So it did end up happening. It was not what we planned. It's not how we thought it was going to happen, but it just, that's where our path went. And so he was in a different state. He was in Missouri and we had to travel to see him, travel to meet him and spend time with him. And then we we brought him home. He came home on his sixth birthday. So
0: at that point, was he your foster child or you adopted him?
1: So when you do foster to adopt, the adoption happens after a certain amount of time. So they you you would basically have him in your home and he came into our home and was there from June of uh, 2010 and then we did our finalization in March of 2011. So he was he was in there almost almost a year before the finalization, which means that's when the official adoption happens.
0: But the intention to adopt is there from yep. the very beginning. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, in that movie, I remember Mark Wahlberg and and his wife in the movie. It was like again, yeah, yeah, you're telling me that it's going to look very different than what we think, uh-huh. but Trust me, we've got this figured out. It's right. going to be totally fine. Right. Did you experience some of that? Those thoughts?
1: Yes, a, yeah. a thousand percent. We thought, wow, you know, he's taken to us so well. He mm-hmm. was calling us mom and dad pretty much from the beginning. We were having such a great time. He had an incredible personality. We, you know, everything was just so so great, so perfect and they kept saying this is the honeymoon phase. This is, you know, it, it's going to get hard and we kind of like the movie, we're like, I don't think so. I think we just got a really easy, you get know. Yeah. yeah. Um and that was not the case at all. We started to experience within the first few months we started to experience a lot of difficulty a lot of struggles and you know there it's to be expected because these kids are in foster care and for him specifically he had been in foster care from the time he was almost two so for four years of his life all he really remembers is being bounced around he had birth siblings who were um, placed in different homes so he knew them he played with them he saw them he knew they were his siblings but they were in other homes. Yeah,
0: definitely not a typical sibling not a, interaction no. at all.
1: And then he would put a lot of the blame on himself because the reason they weren't in the same home was because his behavior was so bad mm-hmm. that they couldn't be in the same home. And so there was a lot of guilt put on this child that never should have been there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he was exposed to a lot of things that he never should have, a lot of neglect and a lot of really horrible things during the time when it's the most... Uh, important for development and he because of that now has lifelong struggles that we've dealt with But I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. I believe, you know, 100% he's supposed to be our child and we were supposed to be the ones to help him through this. Did they give you any
0: warning like, hey, this child has been through XYZ and it may look like this? These are some of the things that you may encounter.
1: They did, but so much of it is up in the air. Like they give you diagnoses. You know, they give you, they say reactive attachment disorder. That's a huge one that you'll hear, especially for kids in foster care. They have a hard time attaching. But again, for us at the beginning, it felt so like, natural. He's attaching to us. He's we're attaching. Fine. He's calling us mom and dad. He he's excited to go to his new home, and we thought, okay, so he doesn't have that, and we were so completely wrong and so completely naive. But that's just those are the things that you get when you when you choose to go down that path, and nobody really understands what it's like until you're living it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, with any child, whether you adopt a six year old or you have a baby, like they. Don't come with a pamphlet. No, so you don't know what you're going to encounter. And I know that I was super naive with that. Like when I had my kids, it <laughs> yeah. was like ten fingers, ten toes. Yep, they're healthy. We're a okay exactly. here. Exactly. Like, and I really put a lot of it on myself. Like if I'm the perfect mother, the children will be perfect, right? And and it it wasn't that way. The one um, issue that we encountered: my son is on the autism spectrum, and mm-hmm. it was like. I had no knowledge of that. It was like my only reference was Rain Man. Right. I, had, I had no idea what that looked like. And I never thought that that would be something that well, we would Well, any, any especially diagnosis, especially
1: that. There's so many different... Um, different ways they could look, you it's know what I'm saying? Especially, exactly. Yeah. So you never know, or even a diagnosis like reactive attachment disorder, or he also has ODD oppositional defiance disorder, right? It could be on the lower end of things. It could be extreme. You just don't know what you're going to get.
0: So what, did yours look like like how bad did it get or what were some of the struggles that you went through specifically
1: so I would say between six and ten years old it was typical stuff that you would see with kids it would be you know temper tantrums maybe a little bit longer a little bit older than he should have had but still because of his past we kind of would chalk that up to that's what it is
0: and you don't um, know like being a first-time mom you're like is this normal for right, this age or- right
1: yeah, we not. started our parenting journey at 6 years old, you know? Yeah. That's what that's what we tried to focus like we didn't have 0 to 6. This was it. So we, you know, he would, he would, he was stealing things like, you know, erasers or somebody's snack or things like that. Um, Lying a lot, doing things. And then right in front of you that you would be like, I just watched you do that. And he would lie Um, again, stuff that you would kind of think normal kids test out as they get older. And then you discipline them, you, you take away their privileges, give them consequences, stuff like that. And they start to kind of figure things out. And with with him, he just never did. He never, he never stopped. It got as right. he got older, it got worse. And the things he was stealing were now iPhones or you know things like that, as opposed to just something that was kind of a little bit more innocent.
0: Sure.
1: Um, and then the manipulation he has, you know, he would manipulate a lot to get his way. And again, his past—that's what he had to do to kind of survive. He had to. He had to take care of younger siblings at such a young age that he was forced to kind of grow up quickly and figure out how he was going to get what he needed to get and whatever way he needed to get it. Yeah. And it's sad. It's horrible to think about because who wants to think about that about their kid?
0: Yeah. They had to go through things like that at yeah. four or five years old. That I never experienced even yeah. in my 30 plus years of life. Well, and I firmly believe like there is no such thing as a bad child. So you have to then differentiate between this person that I'm sure you, I mean, you loved this little boy and you mm-hmm. knew he was he yep. was good, but because of all of these things that had happened in his life, it was leading to these behaviors that were not acceptable. Absolutely,
1: and knowing that the things that he's doing were not his fault. Yeah, it's I think not that's him. The- it's it's. Right. It's, it, that's the biggest thing that we've tried to remind ourselves because it's really hard to remind yourself when, they're, when you're going through some of the really deep stuff yeah. that he, yes, he is struggling. He is pushing back. He is doing all these things, but they are because of how his life started and it's not his fault. It was things that were, you know, he didn't have a choice and that's, that's really hard to remember, but we try to tell ourselves that yeah. as much as possible because it, it's it's not his fault. And now's the time he's going to have to make some changes or his life's going to end up very differently. Sure.
0: So you find yourself kind of in this storm mm-hmm. with all of his behaviors. It's not like what you thought it would be. Right. Where do you go from there?
1: So at first, um, gosh, when he was uh, maybe 12, we started to just ask for help any way we could. I was reaching out to resource officers at a school, his therapists, um, you know, anybody that I could looking at reading books, looking at things online, just trying to find support groups too, for us as parents, like, well, what are we doing wrong? You know, yeah. what, what can we do to, to make this better? And that really helped. But at the same time, it, what was really frustrating is we were constantly hearing, and this is the worst thing to hear it's not really that bad yet. You have to wait until it gets worse before you can kind of get more help. And
0: you're thinking it's going to get worse. Yeah,
1: I'm like, wait a minute. So we have to wait until our kid is, you know, breaking into cars or breaking, you know, do, doing these horrible criminal acts, basically, you know, criminal acts before we can get help. Wow. And that's where we were. That's where we were. And was the
0: foster to adopt program, did they stay involved in your lives or were they just kind of like wipe their hands like, Okay. No, once the
1: adoption is done, they do kind of send you in a direction to get resources, Mm -hmm. and you can reach out to your state, um, and they can set up things. But it was really hard to do that when things weren't, quote unquote, that bad. And then as things got worse, and there was criminal things that were happening and running away and um, that's when that's when the help arrived Mm -hmm. and it was almost like too late at that point right we were grateful so much
0: that you have to reverse exactly
1: exactly Um, and because of his manipulation he's always been really really good at manipulating even his therapists Mm -hmm. he will sit there and tell them what they want to hear and he sounds like he's got it and like oh my gosh I got through to him and we're going, no, no, we, we, you know, we, we, <laughs> we become failed pretty smart too. about this. Yeah, yeah, we know. So he, uh, you know, he, he struggled with being able to actually learn anything from the classes or the therapy or anything, because it was just in one ear out the other, when he was in the therapy room, you know, in the office, it was on point. And as soon as he walked out, it was like, none of it happened. So it really, it, we knew at that point it was going to need to be like 24-7, um, constant care, constant um, program, whatever we could do to make sure that it was just a 24-7 thing. It couldn't be a couple hours a week.
0: Yeah. And that's when I actually first learned about your journey. We met in the bathroom, you know, one day, and I said, like, how are things As girls do, right? going or whatever? And you were like, oh, well, my son's in a treatment facility in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, ah yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so tough. So th- that ends up happening. He gets like 24 seven care. Mm-hmm. But then l- how do you parent and navigate that? Like, wh- what do you do? That was really hard there?
1: because of him having reactive attachment disorder, having him be so far away. Yeah. And having to basically just have phone calls every week that we talk. It wasn't personable. It wasn't We weren't able to hug him and, you know, we did get visits, but it wasn't he wasn't in the same city where we could just go visit him whenever we wanted. And was he like, okay being there? Did he know that he needed that help or did he
0: hold that against you?
1: You know, I have to say one of the most amazing things about him is that he does know he needs it. And he has uh, admitted that he wants to get better and he doesn't want to live he doesn't want to constantly be in trouble you know he doesn't want everybody to be upset with him and he doesn't he wants to have good relationships he just doesn't know how to have them and he does have a really hard time with peers and um family everybody having a close relationship he doesn't he still kind of pushes away when it starts to get a little too close he gets scared and pushes away um but yeah he was he was there for a year in Utah at that treatment facility and he came home and they did not transition and they've actually admitted this. They did not transition him home the correct way. And they kind of just threw him home, whereas it should have been a slower process and it should have been gradual. It should have been something that he came home and went directly into kind of like an outpatient Mm -hmm. facility where he was doing it partial. It should have been gradual and it wasn't. He was thrown home and didn't have any kind of uh, therapy or program for two to three weeks, which was really bad. Um, Then we started seeing a lot of... um, Criminal behavior, but also aggression and physical. And that was all new. He had never been physical before, Hmm. but it was almost like he had gotten bigger and hormones and he realized challenges
0: change. They look differently than they do. Yeah.
1: The anger came out. And so when the physical stuff happened, there was just no way. I mean, we also have a three year old son at home and, you know, a a dog and a little dog and he was becoming physical and aggressive, aggressive. And we had to make calls that we didn't want to. We we had to call police for help. And nobody ever wants to do that. And I actually remember when I was younger that a friend of mine, um, her mom had talked about how she had to call the police on her son, which was my friend's brother. Yeah. And I thought, how could you do that? You know, I was very judgmental. You know, even as a kid, I was very like, "How could you? I could never. I would never." <laughs>
0: could you ever never been on that other
1: side of things. call the police on my child? Right. That's just horrible. Why would you do? You know, all these things. But we had no other choice. We had no other option. And they told us, um, police and our treatment team said, until these things are documented, we can't go further with the kind of plan that he would need the mm-hmm. treatment plan. So we had to, every single time something happened, we had to make those calls that were just killing me as a mother.
0: I do think, you know, one thing that I've learned in my life is that police can play a really critical role too in like calming a situation Mm -hmm. down. It's not always like this, um, I don't know, like bad, it doesn't have to be this bad event in your life. No, Um, I ended up, and this embarrasses me to no end, but through my divorce- uh, when my husband started dating another woman, we ended up in this situation where, like, I literally lost it. And uh-huh. I was like, this woman is not going to be around our children. <laughs> yeah. And it escalated to the point where police were called. And I was like, no way. Like, this does not happen in right. my life. Like, this cannot happen. But the officers were so incredible in, like, calming me down, mm-hmm. reassuring me, like, your emotions are normal and they're intense. And it's – but it's, it's okay, like – Think things through. Don't do anything
1: stupid. Right, right.
0: (laughs) And I, it's like the way that I look at police officers ever since that horrible moment in my life, I'm like, oh, wow, like it doesn't have to end with like handcuffs and no, sirens. Right? They can like just be this mediator. Yeah. And I don't know if any of those situations were that way for you, but.
1: They did. And I think they're amazing. And we're really lucky here. Um, You know, Boise police, um, we know them pretty well. And <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, our situation though with Jaden, because of his manipulation, we actually had gotten to the point where I had to record him because what he would do is escalate, Zero to a hundred in a in a heartbeat. And then as soon as police would arrive, he was just this completely calm, cool, collected kid yeah. who had no idea why they were there. And we had that happen a couple times when I was sitting there going, This is really frustrating. Like you guys are seeing something totally different and they don't believe me. Yeah, because they have no evidence. Right. Of what's so I would okay. have to record things and then it was like, Oh, okay, we see. Well, you know, this is a completely different kid than what we're seeing. And they ended up setting something in place with um with children's mental health where they actually have a situation or a um, plan where if they come out, then he um, they know that they're going to see a different version than what we see. Mm -hmm. And that's really amazing because there's nothing worse than saying, no, I promise you this is what we're seeing. And then you, you know, you can't explain it. You have no proof. Yeah.
0: So where's Jaden at today? How are things? looking? So he
1: came home for, um, he was home for, uh from august until january so he came from home from the facility in utah in august Mm -hmm. and we did lots and lots and lots of therapy lots and lots and lots of like classes um anger management kind of things he had quite a few hours a week of of group therapy family therapy and individual therapy
0: and are those therapies if you don't mind me asking have you found like are Does your insurance cover them or?
1: So the nice thing is, is when you um, adopt through the state. So when you do foster to adopt and you adopt a child who has been in foster care, they are on Medicaid until uh, through 18. So all all of his anything he's ever needed is covered, which is awesome. Because one thought
0: that crossed my mind, even when you told me he was at this treatment facility in Utah, I'm like, Wow, the emotional impact of that and then the financial impact of that has got to be so huge.
1: So it does cover like his doctor visits and therapy and things like that. But treatment facilities, um, they do not. So inpatient, which is what his his was, mm-hmm. it does not cover it. So you actually have to go through this in, this process that is super long and grueling and like stressful (laughs) to try and get the coverage through because Medicaid doesn't pay it. It has to go through a different department and it's uh, it's super confusing, but we were very, very, very lucky that it was covered for him to go there. So then when he came home, um, he actually had to go to juvenile detention and we said that because of how physical he was being and with our other son um, and how he was being towards us and starting to accuse us of hurting him, we said that he couldn't he couldn't come home until they had something in place that was going to protect all of us. sure. And we actually found this ranch in Utah. It's in a very, very, very small um, it's called Kuherram, Cush- I think Kusharm. Mm-hmm. I always call it Kusharm, but that's wrong. And it's a ranch that works with kids who have been adopted, who have reactive attachment disorder, who have extreme behavioral issues. And I reached out to them and it was almost like I got very emotional and started crying because everything that this guy was saying they help with was what we needed help with. Right. And where he was before was great. Don't get me wrong. But it was more of a um, hospital type facility. This is more of a hands on out in the field. If you don't want to do something and you want to mouth off or you want to get physical, you're going to go shovel poop in the staples. Mm-hmm. And for him, that is more impactful than saying, you don't get to go on a ski trip, you're going to go sit in your room and read a book. Because to him, that was, that was. That was wonderful. He would rather. He would do that. love to sit by himself because he doesn't like being social. So he would love to sit by himself in his room and read a book. I don't care if I miss out on going to ski, go ski. Yeah. So there he was gonna never care anything if, that He's
0: going to care if he has to shovel poop though. <laughs> absolutely.
1: If he has to be physical out in a field somewhere and dig a ditch. Oh, yeah. it's gonna, that's going to, that's going to impact him. And we've seen, he's been there since um, January, the end of January. And we've already seen him make really big strides. And he is, the the consequences they are putting in place are ones that are making an impact on him.
0: Where's your brain right now, like, in seeing, because he's, okay, so he, what is he, 14 now?
1: He'll be 15 in June. So, yeah, he's 14. So,
0: he's 14, almost 15. I mean, getting close in a few short years where he's going to reach adulthood. Right. Where is your brain right now as to what does that look like or what, I mean,
1: I don't know. It's scary. It is really scary because, you know, on one hand, you you don't want to say, I'm glad it's happening now, but I am glad it's happening now instead of at 17. Because then we'd be so close to him being 18. And I feel like we would lose the ability to be able to do what we're doing now and get him help. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, he'd be 18, close to 18. He can do whatever he wants. He can say, I'm not going to do it. And we wouldn't really have you know, as much of a handle on it as we do now. Whereas at this age, there is still time and we keep being reassured by the place where he is now. We keep being reassured that he is still able to come back from this. We are able to reach him. We feel confident in the fact that we can make these changes, that he will have a successful life. And I, I do feel very comfortable with that too, because he is almost 15, but again, we've still got a few years, you know, and you've even got years well beyond 18 in a sense. I
0: mean, where I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I think you do in a sense just yeah. because we as people continue to progress and yeah. grow. And it, even with myself, I feel like I I didn't really get things figured out till I was about 30. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that you have plenty of time. But I love that you have that hope. I love that through all of these struggles. Like I can tell that love is still there.
1: There is no doubt. I know I said early on when we were talking that, you know, having a child who's not biologically yours, there is no doubt in our minds, both JD and I, that he is meant to be our son. He is our son. Absolutely. And, you know, we even tell him in therapy, everything that he's doing, all these things, it is not going to push us away. We are always going to be here. He is our son, no matter what. That's pretty stinking cool.
0: So, you mentioned earlier, you have two children that mm-hmm. are adopted. Your son, Cooper, yeah. who is, was he three, four?
1: Um, he will be four at the end of this month. Okay. So just in a couple of weeks. And, that and is, I will say, I will sup. So you said they are adopted. Another big thing in the adoption community is trying to teach people and educate people that when they were adopted, it was an event that happened in the past. So they are not are that. adopted. They were adopted. They were adopted. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that's, that's so important to share with people because yep. we don't know. like The public right. doesn't know if you haven't been part of that community right. or you haven't gone through that experience. And I don't
1: get offended by it at all. I do know some other adoptive moms who get really offended. And I don't because... They're not going to know unless you teach them. How many no. times in since we've been talking about this are things that I said we had no idea we didn't know about? For sure, people adoption. don't mean anything by it. They're no. just naive. So no. it's that
0: education piece. Yeah. So I when mean, you
1: say, "Oh, that you know their son is adopted," is incorrect. He was adopted. Right. He is their son. Now he's their
0: son. He's, yeah. He is their son. Like no differentiating
1: and the same with when you say we had very early on when so our second son like you said we adopted him through um from birth we actually had a family friend who uh was very young and she knew that we had adopted our oldest and that we were actually wanting to do it again and she had just found out like literally had just taken a test and found out she was pregnant called us and asked us if we would adopt wow and we said absolutely she moved from the east coast um, out to, we lived in Portland, and she moved in with us. So we were a part of the really? entire process, the entire journey. Um, every doctor's appointment, every kick, you know, we would we, we would feel him. And um, we were there through the entire process. And it was completely opposite of our first adoption. Well,
0: yeah, your entire journey right. has right. been different. And completely do you, different. Do you think the key piece has been getting cooper from day one and not having all of the yeah juggle through foster yeah homes he and- didn't
1: he's only ever known love he has only ever known um us and he's only ever seen just calm and happy and he's never had to feel scared or um take care of himself any of that so he he is just the happiest kid, the easiest kid. And I always say too, I, I think God said, you, you know, I put you through enough with the first one that your second (laughs) one is going to be easy peasy. So he, he is, but, um, but another part of the vocabulary that I want to make sure people know about is that when people say, and it happened a lot when, when our youngest was born is, well, how, you know, do you know a lot about his real mom? oh and that is incorrect because i am his real mom exactly <laughs> so the 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 term is usually biological mom or birth mom mm-hmm. because and they did that component of it absolutely that's where it stopped right and you know it, she is still um a part of our so it's an open adoption we know her she knows us she we send pictures she sees him grow up and things like that but she got to choose where the line was and she doesn't really want to be a part of his life. She just wants to kind of make sure he's okay.
0: Yes. I do think the the open adoption that we have in our society now is amazing. And I don't know what, you know, all of your thoughts are on that, but my ex-husband is adopted. Him and his twin brother was adopted. I've really got to learn. (laughs) Thank you. You will now catch me every single time (laughs) they were adopted and they have just always had that curiosity piece yeah. about finding, like, where did we come from yeah. biologically? Yeah. And they've never been able to get any answers. So I think just having – I think that people are naturally curious. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I, although I can see some complications if there was maybe, maybe sometimes when there's too much involvement, it, that gets really complicated and messy. But, uh, you know – From an outsider's point of view, it seems nice that they can at least kind of know, like, this is where I biologically came from. I
1: think it is so important. I think, you know, in this day and age, if there's any medical issues, it's nice to know that ahead of time. Know, um, you know, family history, things like that. Um, with our first being foster to adopt, that wasn't an option because, you know, his birth parents' rights were terminated. Mm-hmm. So there was no way there, they were going to be able to be a part of his life. Now, on the other side of things, I have a lot of information that I got to, to write down and keep. So I have birth families' names. I have information so that when he's older, if he ever wants to know – he can. I have reached out to the family who adopted um, his birth siblings, and we connect and we talk to each other, so that we know that when those kids are old enough, if yeah. they want to connect, they can. Um, you know, and for Cooper, he's going to be four. We were very happy that it was going to be open, and that she was going to. And open just means that we know who each other are, and that we're going to, you know, keep in touch. Mm-hmm and that you know we know exactly where she stands with things we actually might have a situation coming up very soon where we might have a surrogate so that will be a, another another totally step. different experience totally yeah. different and you know we keep saying like our children it's funny jd actually said our family grows in the most untraditional way and i love it you know this is just yep. the way that that we are and it's not scary anymore. You know, now we fight kind of figure, you know, we could do whatever and it's, it's not as scary, but um, it is very important. I think to kind of, to, to be open to the fact of allowing those birth family members to be involved as long as it doesn't cross any lines. Sure. And not to be afraid because I was afraid of this early on. Um, and I'm not anymore, is not to be afraid to allow them to be in the child's life because they are always going to be a birth parent. They are always going to be something that you are not. But at the same time, and I get emotional when I think about it, at the same time, I am something to my son that they will never be.
0: Absolutely. So I can totally relate to that from a very different perspective. But like when my ex-husband started dating... This woman, who he's been dating her for about a year, it was all those emotions of like she's so different than me, and she is going to bring all these things into their life that I can't bring. Yeah, and it was so scary. Yeah, it was so scary. But I finally got to a place, just like you did, where it was like, you know what? She can complement their life. Yes, and she can be almost like a teacher is in their life, or anyone that's good, right. A good influence in their life, and I hope that she is. But nothing is going to change what I bring into their life. Exactly. How I am their mother. Yeah. You know?
1: And so. it is the same. It is. I do believe it is the same in this situation, too. It's you're never going to be able to be I'm never going to be able to be her and she's never going to be able to be me. And I get all these memories and all of this time with him that I would, you know, not trade for anything in the world. And it's not a competition. No, at the end of the day, no you know? it's not. It really isn't. I mean, I, like the more the merrier. And that's kind of how we feel even yep. talking about this is this possible surrogate situation is, you know. We've, we've sat down and talked with them and it's like, you know, well, what do you see it looking like as far as family goes and future and things like that? And I'm like, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. I think if our child can grow up with more people to love them, All why the is better. that a bad thing? Yeah. How is that a bad
0: thing? It may not look like the picture perfect no. card, but that, you know, we find beauty and goodness in that when yep. you allow your brain to get away from that white picket fence and yes. it's supposed to look this
1: certain way. And that was really hard for me. I'm very type A. I want to plan things yes. out. I plan out so our I. trips, you know, a month in advance and I know where we're going to go at what time and how mm-hmm. we're going to be, you know, everything. So for me, not having the, um, the process, I guess, of growing our family be exactly as I expected was really hard for me to swallow at first And then it just kind of, you know, I truly feel like God lined everything up the way that it was supposed to be and just said, trust me. And this is that's the best thing that I could could have done, because now I'm, you know, so open to things that I never thought I would be before, because I've had to go through such uh, struggles to be able to have the family we have. Yeah.
0: What would you say? And this is a huge question. But what would you say to other women and other families that are going through infertility that are? considering adoption that are on a similar path, what would you say to them?
1: The number one thing that I see or that I hear people ask me is, um, or that I hear people say is, I don't think I can love a child that, that I don't carry myself, that I don't, you know, have in my womb and birth out myself. And that isn't part, you know, my, my husband or my, myself. And that is so far from the truth. I just want everybody to know who's even considered it that I promise you there is no chance whatsoever you will feel like this, this child is yours. Because that is something that people go into it. I know it was my husband's fear that I don't think I can love that child. And you absolutely will.
0: And what would you say to, because one thing that I feel a little bit bad about our conversation is we kind of shed some, a lot of negative light on some things that you went through with your son, Jaden and that option as far as adoption what would you say to people considering adopting a 6-year-old or a teenager or or something like that?
1: It is really hard for me because I do share so much and I'm so open about the struggles we've had, but I also don't want those to bring fear to people who have who have thought about it. Right. But on the other end too, I don't want people to go into things naive, naive and not really understand what they could end up. Well, because dealing knowledge with.
0: is power, so Absolutely. if you go into it prepared, You're going to be able to. I think
1: just go in, read every book you can on it. Talk to other families, talk to people who've been through it. Make sure you have resources lined up ahead of time. And, you know, as children are older, teenagers, like you said, or even, you know, our son was five when we first started visiting and doing things, you know, doing visits, and he came home at six. As you get older, the longer they've been in foster care, you are going to have more struggles. They are going to have a lot more issues with, um, you know, attaching or just pushing you away because it doesn't feel normal to them. You know, Mm -hmm. things that feel good shouldn't feel good because of whatever they've been through in their past. So I would just say, make sure you have all those resources and you can do it. I don't want people to shy away or be I don't scared either, of it. I'm like,
0: these are kids that need homes. They need families yeah. to love and them. And we
1: made it through, you know, yes, it wasn't easy. It was probably the hardest thing we've ever done in our life, but it was also the most rewarding. And it's also, we're still going through it and I still wouldn't change a thing.
0: Yeah. And that's how this crazy life goes with yeah. all of these challenges. It's like, when you're in the thick of it, you think like, <laughs> I'm never going to see the end. I'm never going to see the end. I'm never going to get through this. And almost every single time mm-hmm. you walk away, like I'm so much stronger. We are so much better. We have gained so much knowledge and can connect yeah. In a way, with other people that we could have never done.
1: Otherwise. And just surround yourself with people that you that, that can help you through it. Because I'm telling you, going through something like this, especially with my husband, people are like, I don't know how you guys you know went through I've it. Survived. I'm telling you, it makes it makes you stronger because there's nothing you can you can either fail or you can push through and get through it. And that's what we that's what you have to do. Yeah. That's well, we did.
0: Nicole, I think you are an incredible wife and mother, and you're you such an inspiration to me about just taking something that went not the way you planned and making it into something incredibly beautiful. So thank you so much. (laughs) Love you. Thank you for joining this edition of Not The Way I Planned. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at notthewayiplanned.com as well
1: as Not The Way I Planned on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.